idea. I want that spelt cake. Oh, <laughs> there's a spelt trend. cake. You know, <laughs> this is code for the something. one that they posted in Discord the other day. It's like the spelt logo, and it looks like it's chocolate on the inside. It looks so yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. Where where can I get myself one of those? Should I, know, I get right? one for for a spelt summit? Yeah, you yes. should get a few. Like a huge svelte cake. Yes, just it just needs to one lay across one a meter. table. Yes. Yeah. Just get each letter, yeah. each letter is a cake. <laughs> oh, and there you, you serve go. A di- and you serve one letter at a different time of, of the day. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why not? Why not? That's great. All right. So if if you're not aware of uh, what podcast you're listening to, it's, uh, it's Felt Radio. We're back once again. Uh, this episode, we're going to talk about stores, custom stores, regular stores. It's a stores galore episode. And oh, as usual, stores. I have my uh, my co-host with me, Brittany Anthony and Sean. Hello. Hi, hey. everyone. Hello. We're so energetic today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very a hot of outside. Us, a couple of us, maybe actually, maybe, maybe most of us are looking pretty tired today. Yeah. I'm I am I am tired. I've been working all day, and then I prepared a. Uh, I'm preparing a presentation for for the meetup that I'm uh, running tonight. It's about Svelte Cubed. Oh, so it's 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 my first time playing around with Svelte Cubed. Um, Are you showing is, uh, that on the nice. YouTube channel too? I do, I don't think it'll be recorded, unfortunately. Oh, maybe I, maybe I can. Maybe we can do a, a Svelte Sirens stream or something with that. Yes, do, that would be. I can do the presentation on uh, just for you on the YouTube channel. Yeah, that'd be great. So, what have you guys been up to? Um, work, work, and more work. Oh, uh, it's like last same. week. <laughs> it, yeah, <laughs> a lot. Well, it, who would have thought? This, well, this this week it, it kind of became even worse because I was I was doing sort of releases that took so long to release because they were quite you know a lot of database migrations and stuff that. Um, I had to do them late at night, which is not something I've done for a very long time. I do believe in continuous delivery and releasing whenever and, and ever, but these are big enough that we need to have you know, sort of not quite downtime, but certainly things would be very, very wonky for a while. So um had to release them at night. And of course, it was me staying up and doing them. So uh, yeah, it really has impacted my ability to do anything else during the day. Yeah, that makes sense. Did you... Uh... Did you run into any issues or did you? No, it was very smooth, actually. Very smooth. It's you know, one of the benefits of keeping QA identical to, to production is that I was yep. confident it would all work and, and, and it went really well. There was one weird, I say an issue, it was, it was just a weird an oddity. Um, and it was that migrating my production database, which is, has the same data as the QA database, it's just the QA database has all the personal information removed. It took longer. It was significantly slower. And they're both the same. They're on the same kind of cluster. Not sure why that happened. So I don't know. Mm. Maybe I'll never know. The mysteries of computer science. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's upsetting to learn that my production database is slower than my QA database. That's for sure. Yeah. It should probably be the other way around, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. Brittany, what, what have you been up to? Yeah, just been super busy. I feel like getting my footing at work and after all the streams last week, I had six streams or podcasts last week. So after wow. that week, I'm just now kind of trying to find like, where do I fit in at Nellify? Like, what what do I have to do? What are my responsibilities? So getting some blog posts and things written this week and slowing down a little bit. I want to do more streams though. So I need to figure out like where I can fit these at. 
Yeah. Cool. Cool. Nice. And Sean, what about you? Are you traveling again? No, I've been uh, very, very stable. Just uh, actually, I just visited Stripe Singapore today and it was really nice. Everyone's kind of, they basically only do lunches at the office and then everyone works from home. So oh, that's pretty <laughs> fun. That's awesome. <laughs> so they go uh, okay. and get together for lunch and then they can yeah. go back to their own place. That's really yeah. Cool. <laughs> so basically they have a restaurant. <laughs> a very expensive restaurant that doesn't serve food i guess or they serve food maybe i don't know <laughs> yeah i don't know uh but and, and the food is really good so uh i mean i like to see that because it's not it's this kind of thing is kind of common in new york and san francisco but not so common in singapore so i like i do like to see that nice i think the other thing that you know maybe people have been seeing on my twitter is that i've been complaining about javascript not really like React's fault. It's just more about build to build tooling. Uh, so I, I have a friend who's working on a side project, and he's a very experienced Go and Java developer. He's a you know senior staff engineer uh, at Google and Twitter. And then he wanted to spin up a React dashboard, and he wanted to use an open API client that uh, happened to use a Node built-in module or uh, the the Node URL module. Um, and because Create React App had upgraded to Webpack 5, it just gave him a really bad error. It, it was just like, I don't know what the, what the hell this URL thing is. Here are five different ways to resolve it, none of which you can use because you're using Create React App. And oh, he was nice. like, I don't know what to do. So he wasn't able to fetch uh, <laughs> data in a, in a basic React App. The, the first thing he tried to do after spinning up, he had this crash and I was just like man I don't know if this is like a good thing because uh, <laughs> this sort of thing is this hand taken care of in other other ecosystems or just not a problem in other ecosystems and I I helped him fix it but it was too many steps and I wasn't proud of it and I don't think it was a good use of anyone's time <laughs> so yeah. do you think getting rid of create react app or actually like improving and evolving create react app is the solution well, so one of the React App's problem is that it doesn't let you edit the Webpack profile, right? Like, it's it's it was just it web, upgraded Webpack five was dropped Node. Like, we all understand why like each of these individual decisions matter, but imagine if you are not a full time JavaScript person and you just want to get going. Imagine if you're trying to just use the recommended tools, this, the basic stack that's in the docs, and then you run into this kind of error, and like your day is ruined when you're just trying to be more productive, right? Like bad developer experience. <laughs> exactly. It's developer <laughs> experience. So like the error, the error could be better. We could have an option to polyfill it because performance is not an issue. Like there's all these other options available, but you needed someone like me to come in and do it for you or you'd be completely screwed. So I don't think essentially what I'm, you know, my reflection is I don't think we're doing a good job of serving the, non-js crowd and a non-developer crowd like because I, I just i just don't think this is productive <laughs> it's it's a it's a funny one because we saw the exact same thing with a brand new nux app just the other day we we're just studying how the routing works and it also would not launch it had some error that you would know if you're a javascript developer but if you were just a person who come from the language you wouldn't recognize it and I think it was a, to do with dependencies not being pinned down correctly or something. But in their own 
CLI's creation of brand new bear skeleton app and just wouldn't run. And during, as part of that discussion, Ben mentioned that actually he'd seen the same thing uh, back in the day when we started the super app. He, he, he ran it at a time when it had a similar issue, it had a dependency issue or whatever, and it wouldn't work. And it's funny because every single mainstream language probably has the same exact issue. And someone was reporting that Ember did the same to them the other day. So it's, uh, yeah, it's certainly, it's not any specific language or stack or anything else. It's it's across the board. We probably need to have a, a better job of having what you'd consider a stable, you know, bare bones app or skeleton. Right. Right. So, you know, I think our error messages need to be better. And then also I was just thinking about like, maybe if we had just a hard version. So, you know, like you would understand if, a library that was built for Python 3 was not compatible with Python 2. So I think basically what we need is JS3 versus JS2, right? Like there's this ecosystem of newer packages or updated packages that are compatible with all with like ES modules and like no node build-ins, like all the all the new standards that we come to expect. And those are not expected to be compatible with JS2. So maybe we should do that, but I also don't know how to do it. Would would that yeah. be a warning? Would that be a warning thing, or would it be a? It's like a, you know, a hard so every stop. everyone would signal, or everyone would be able to an, you'd be able to analyze a package whether it's uh, compatible with JS three tools, and if you're using JS three, like uh, anything using Webpack five is JS three, anything using V is JS three, you cannot expect. So this is about messaging, right? This is about telling people should you be able to expect to use this package with this other package, and it's really not that complicated, like. There's just a set of expectations that the more modern tools have that make them incompatible with the past, and we just need to make it easy to see. I don't. Yeah, I think it's a good idea. I think I think it would solve a lot of problems, but I don't think it would solve all the problems because at least two of those scenarios weren't related to ES6 or non-ES6. They were they were different things, but it would certainly be a step in the right direction. My concern is people not fully understanding the standards and producing something that claims to be JS3 or whatever, but it's not actually JS3 because uh, just because it has some of the kind of traits doesn't make it actually compatible. So you'd have to have almost like, you know, an official meaning of what this meant and, and, and somehow get people to adhere to that maybe. I mean, yeah, you could, you could probably do that. Sounds like a lot of work though. Like, Getting everyone well, on board and like it's almost like a security audit, isn't it? Because that, that that happens, right? It scans the packages and says this has X Y Z issue. Yeah, maybe we should just uh, maybe we should just do it. Like, <laughs> yeah, make a repository and just have like approved packages. It's, it's just a GitHub like badge, a million isn't it? time. It's yeah. a GitHub bot rather that goes around GitHub and scans and packages then you... and then gives them an award. <laughs> and then you maybe uh, maybe you try to convince the the package managers that they should uh, warn if you're using uh, installing like an old package in a project that's I don't know this isn't that's, impossible that part's thing. easier that part's easier because you know you, you do that in npm you do that in pmpm you do that in yarn whatever else you know you just you do yeah. you do it there you know reads this field or whatever and says it's valid or not I just think people might end up fudging it. Yeah. Better error All messages right. and warnings are definitely good, but I think we have lied to our listeners and we have derailed the conversation. <laughs> Ten minutes in, we're going to get back to custom stores. Right? Yes. Oh that, yeah. That's a, that's a good idea. Is that, yeah. That 
that that was the topic of the day. Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> so, have you guys uh, heard about stores? No. Now you can buy all sorts of stuff in them. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah. So stores are a concept in Svelte. It's kind of a, I guess you could call it a state handling solution, um, but a very bare bones one. You can uh, you can put all sorts of fun stuff in them. You can implement. What's that one uh, React thing Redux. that everyone uses? Yes, Redux. Redux. I was going to say Remix, but that's another another thing. Or Mobex. Mobex, yeah, yeah. Or Easy Peasy is one I used. Or um, what's that Stories one? Like React, something or other. Redux Saga. No, I, yeah, I have no Redux. clue. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> Dunks yeah. and all the other things that go with Redux. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, store. Generally, stores are just uh, a way to for handling communication between uh, components, and, or rather, I guess you share state between components is probably a better description, right? Um, global state. Yes, yes. Um, so we have a couple of built-in ones in Svelte. We have the writable, the readable. We have a derived one, and we also have a spring one. Are there any other ones that I've missed? I think those are the ones. Is I it? should know this. <laughs> is there a I'll, specific I'll spring one? I actually didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, there is. So, so let's let's go go through them. So, a writable store is what you'd use to when you want a store that you can write to, so you can update it and uh, whatnot. A readable one is you set you set the value once, and inside of the store you might run some logic to to update it as well, but you can't update it from from the outside, if that makes sense. And then we also have a derived one, which depends on other stores. And then we have the, is the spring one called tween? That's probably it, right? Or is it, are those different? I don't know. No, remember. they're separate. So spring basically lets you emulate spring physics. And so for example, whenever you want to reach a certain value, you might overstep it for a bit, just like a, as a principle oh, of animation. Yeah. And in tween, it lets you precisely go from A to B. Yep. So either either you emulate the physics of like a weight and some kind of spring uh, resistance, or you go, you have a have a definite set time that you're trying to go for, something like that. There's a really good spring stealth demo somewhere, isn't there? There is with all, there the, is. With all the animations. We should link that somewhere. Absolutely. Yeah. So spring is pretty nice. The tweened one is, like you said, Sean, go between two values, smoothly between two values, I guess we should say, right? Yeah, those are the basic ones, and those are everything you need to to build a Svelte app, I guess. But then there are also, I, I'm sure like most listeners know already what stores are and how to use them, at least the basic ones. But there are also something called custom stores, or I guess stores that follow the the store contract, but have additional functionality. And uh, they're pretty pre pretty nice to work with. Um, you can have specific, like, you can add functionality that works well with whatever you're trying to do. Uh, maybe you have a calculator app and you want to add, like, the example in the, in the Svelte tutorial or the examples page is uh, pretty much a count store where you have an increment and a decrement and a reset mode. 
so you can just call those method methods and then you increase the the value by one or decrease it or reset it back to the original one. So yeah, there's there's different there's different ways of doing a custom store, isn't there? Because that one, for example, is augmenting it with new methods that are convenience. Yeah. I think one of my favorite ways of using a custom store is to have a different storage backend. So stores only store within the browser. Uh, they store within the you know, the context of the application, but a store that maybe every change that's made it persists to local storage or session, yep. session storage is really useful. And then of course, there's another way you can use a store, which is the way I use it for the notifications component, which is to use it as a queue. So you put something in it, there's something described on the other end, and every time it gets a value, it's pulled off the other end, operated upon, and then the store is reset to having no contents. Yeah, stores are, are fun. Uh, and you you mentioned like different storage, uh, I guess, mechanisms where you wanted to store your values. Um, you could you could have a like a custom store that saves to a database or like calls an endpoint that saves to a database. I guess makes yeah. more sense. And like keeping in sync with a backend, but yeah. So I, I think I would say they're pretty underused generally for a lot of newcomers. You you often you all only see like people use the writable store and you just they just put everything in there, which is a bit scary. Um, I've seen <laughs> some examples where like you have a writable store with like it's an object with like six hundred methods inside of it and uh, like. 500 attributes it's uh it's wow. very very hard to reason about yeah do you generally like split up your stores into smaller ones or do you just keep one giant uh well maybe I, not giant but yeah I, t- I tend to have it depends what i'm doing if i've got some config that kind of read once uh, sorry write once and read many i'll use a writable store for the user data that they can change i put inside a, like a writable store so I've got one readable, one writable. And then I end up with two stores and I tend to put them in, in an object. And the reason I do that is because then I can pass that object to, uh, if I need to, to set context or get context. Yeah, set context. And then I can get context later and get those two stores out. That's pretty smart. I think what about you? one thing that struck me about talking about writing to APIs from a store, if you were setting this up from scratch and you have a, I know, like a, a page with a bunch of fields on it um, that writes to an object or modifies properties of an object. For example, a user's profile. If you've yep. got that API inside the store, writing all those changes to the database in real time, that's a really nice experience because you don't have to worry about sick at all. You change those properties, it updates it. You know, it calls out to the API to update the database, but the changes are already within your application. If you refresh, that store gets repopulated with the latest data. And what it gives you is a way of real-time saving data, but then on top of that, having, for instance, a derived store that's watching that store that can do things such as trigger like a saving uh, indicator or, or loading indicator or whatever else you want to do. And also, because it's a store, you can update values across your application, no matter who they belong to, where they're, where they're created, what files they're in, because it's a store and it's reactive. Yeah, that's probably not something we mentioned. Like the there's there's built-in syntax to to use the set method. I think it is in in Svelte. I think that's what happens under under the hood, at least when you use the yeah. the sugar syntax. 
Yeah. I've dreamt of building like a, I guess a super kind of complicated fetch, general fetch store thing that just does what you just said. Yeah. But it's uh, it's pretty hard and it's it's like most applications are are different and it's hard to get to build a generic solution because you see yeah, to... I'm going to disagree I, I don't think it's hard I think actually it's really easy I think the hard bit is making sure your APIs are good enough for that to happen right I know right. mine aren't right <laughs> they're, they're just not <laughs> they're not resourceful enough they're not truly rest and I think that you really need that if you've got that sort of very clear predictable and, and consistent API Writing a store that's generic that just knows this is it, this is the name of the entity, whatever. These are the fields that are within it. Just keep them in sync. I think that'd be really easy. Yeah, yeah. So, so I guess the the hard part is is making it work for all of the different APIs that exist, right? Sure. Because the the data has to look in a certain way, right? Wasn't this kind of the topic of the Svelte Summit talk Scott Beal did on tackle async behavior with Svelte stores? Oh, I. I haven't rewatched that yet. I should I should go watch that. That's again. a good we should yeah, have, we should link that in there. Yeah. Yep. I, th- I think one example of this done well actually is is I think it's active record in there uh, in Ruby. I ended up talking about it yesterday for some reason, but that does a pretty good job of abstracting over an API so that you're just keeping some object up to date and the whole CRUD side of things is done for you. Yeah. It's a nice experience. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So how do you make a custom store? Like what's the what's a bare minimum custom store? It's just an object, right? That follows the the store contract and that that means it should have a subscribe method and uh I think that's it, right? Well, yeah, there's there's, there's three methods on stores, right? The set, update and subscribe, I think. That's yeah, that's, that's almost that's the, the entire That's the contract. writable one. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, for sure. So I I think you actually only need the subscribe method and uh Yeah. And uh, it needs to return a, an unsubscribe one as well, but yeah. So the way you, the way you make a custom store is basically you just you return an object that has those methods, pretty much, or the subscribe uh, yeah. one and whatever else you want on it. Yeah, right. The way the way that I've done it most simply is is by having a, just a regular JavaScript class. Um, within that class's constructor, you create a store. You know, it's a regular Svelte store, and you destructure the. The, fe- the functions you want off it and then return them. And that's that's basically it. Yeah, pretty much. All right, so... I just realized like, something. I just realized that there, there are no docs for the custom store on yeah. the main docs. Why is that? Yeah, I agree. That's that's weird. I know there... I know there's an example for the custom store. So maybe... There's an example, yeah. There's a tutorial example. Um, the the docs do mention about custom stores, but they describe it in a way as you just do this contract. But no one really understands what that means. Like, yeah, that's it's simpler I, than it's made to sound. <laughs> it's definitely. I I think that should probably be expanded on in some way. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah, but I mean, so so we mentioned like stores, and they can be they're generally used for application-wide state, right? To store maybe a configuration file or that you need in multiple places or maybe like a the the regular example is the the cart store that that you add items to in a in an e-commerce application. 
Yeah, the, uh, the stores are global state, so they are across the entire application. Yeah, but but there's also another way of using stores, which is to create like a like a store generator, a store factory, I guess you'd call it, where instead of using it to share a state, you just ex extract logic from your components and put it in a store, and then you just use the store instead. So that way you can reuse the logic in different places and you can have your components look a bit nicer. So I've got a couple of different examples of these. So I've got like a toggle store where you, that's a super simple custom store. It just toggles between on and off or true false, I guess. But it's, it's a nice way of having a toggle. <laughs> Probably not something you'd do in a real application, but there are other examples. Um, you could make a fetch store that handles different states of fetch for you. And so you could have you could have a data property, you could have a status property and uh, an error property, I guess. And instead of having to rewrite the fetch for a bunch of different places, you just write this once as a store and then you import it into your component and use it there. It's a, I, I think this is a pretty underused way of, uh, of using stores. I'd like to yeah, see more Yeah, they're, they're very flexible. Yeah. I think, I think the, store, the name store leads you down a path of, you know, storing data. That's kind of what yeah. I think, but they're much more than that. And it's almost as if you could give them multiple aliases. Um, like yeah. I said, you know, <laughs> we use, we use one as a queue and it's great. It's a great queue because you just kind of, you can shove multiple things into it. You just had a push method. And then when it's right. all freed up and ready to, ready to render, it pulls off what it needs to and, and, and executes on them. It's, yeah. um, it's super useful. For sure. Like, I guess the way that we're talking about using them now, so as as one-off state or logic extraction tools, is is kind of like how you would make custom stores and sorry, custom hooks in React, kind of, but not really. Um, but yeah, it's pretty it's pretty neat. You can combine it with actions as well. The best feature of Svelte, yeah. I feel like I need to plug some libraries. So if, you, if you're, for example, if you're using stores for fetching data, you might want to check out some work that other people have done. Uh, and Svelte Query seems like the most advanced one of those that I've come across. And it's just got a whole bunch of, you know, APIs that you might find useful and features. Yeah, it's, it's, a really, it's a really nice, like, there are a lot of stores out there and they're all very good. Well, probably not all of them, but... A lot of them. <laughs> this like orbit circle on their homepage is incredible. Oh, <laughs> on the Svelte, which one? Svelte query homepage. It's like circles of people that use it. Oh, yeah. oh, the sponsors one there. Yeah. Sorry, oh, yeah. Sponsors one. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty Do cool. You know that's cool. It? Not, I guess sponsors not uses it. I said the wrong thing. That's a lot of sponsors for this. Yeah, it's <laughs> really cool. What really? Oh, uh, okay. Hang on. No, this oh, is oh, uh, oh. This is, this from is for Tanner. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, I see. So this is for the guy that made made it. All right. Okay. That makes sense. Because that almost looks like more more more, uh, more sponsors than Svelte. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Speaking of 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 the Svelte uh, sponsors or or the the Open Collective, what's going on there, Anthony? It's a this is a bit of a tangent. 
<laughs> so <funny. laughs> um the open collective what, what's what what is going on there what is going on yeah. there yeah nobody knows what is what is going on there it's just just a bunch of money you need to do yeah. something with it well i know but it's, it's hard to know exactly what to do with it it's hard to you know to, you, hard to spend you pick money. something you allocate a bunch of funding to it and the people who didn't want that thing are like well, what about my thing and you know it's it's yep. it's difficult to to find a good way but there's definitely some ideas coming to fruition um that will that will help us allocate funds to the right place um i think one specific one that came up recently is a discussion around providing a bounty for for fixing certain bugs or picking a, a new feature that is wanted and then working on it the the office issue with that is that people are trying to claim retrospectively and that's not really how it works we have to kind of agree a price up front right. as if it was like a you know a contract work or something um but that that's certainly something we're interested in especially since you know given the popularity of svelte, svelte now and the things people actually want to build with it um there's a lot of issues that we don't necessarily have time to work on but if someone wanted to work on it um you know they could come forward and provide a, a good outlay of how they want to do it then we could discuss effectively paying them to, to do it so there's definitely ideas afoot. We just haven't, uh, there's nothing, nothing has happened just yet. Yep. Uh, makes sense. All right, cool. Um, back to stores. <laughs> um, yeah. So Brittany, you have a list here. What's this? Oh yeah. I linked the tackle async behavior with felt stores. Cause I didn't know where else to put it. And then I have one on persisting a felt store with local storage. I get it. I did it a couple of years ago at, Svelte Summit maybe in 2020, like at the fall one where it was like just posted on YouTube. So it might be a little outdated, but it's just persisting the store to local storage. So you can have some data in local storage. So it's not too complicated. Yeah, that's a nice feature. I like uh, Jacob's uh, store that he made. Or the It's also like a local storage thing. And works with SvelteKit as well, which is pretty neat. Since it, so I guess, like, if you're if you're making a store that needs local storage, you'd need to to handle that case. And if you're using SvelteKit, right, since it runs both on the on the server and the and the client, that is a good shout out. Yeah, I was wondering with the fetch one too, how that works with endpoints, and if you're using it like in the load function, like, how does that work? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I guess it should work, right? Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. I should try. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And uh, Sean, you have you have a bunch of stores here. Yeah. So uh, I ca I call this project the Everything Store. Just uh, my own uh, list of stores that I would like in the future. It's not an active project, so don't get too excited. <laughs> but uh, so the two, two, the first two stores are, I think, something in the line of what Anthony was saying. Like the word store implies that you're storing data, but actually you could just use it as a way to subscribe to things and set up subscriptions to things. So uh, what if you could subscribe to your breakpoints or your uh, window with changing? And being able to set breakpoints and uh, you know derive state off of that. So the breakpoint store is really good, uh, and then more generally, anything in the media query could be used as a store. Uh, so for example, dark mode or uh, orientation, uh, landscape versus portrait, anything like that, and you'd be able to respond to that inside of Svelte. Um, so just having pre-baked stores for that makes it really easy to start 
making your app a bit more responsive in, in the JavaScript side of things, not just CSS, if, if that's something that you need. I don't, in practice, I don't use it often, but I think when, it's, when I do, I always find out that I have to go look up the MDN. Uh, when and now yeah. I can just import a store instead. Yeah, that's a pretty uh, pretty good use case. Yeah, and then another one that I use on my personal site, but uh, I haven't published a store for yet, is the route query param store. I, you know, basically, whenever, for example, you're typing in a search in the inbox or you're filling out like a filter, it should basically be persisted to the URL in with the query params. And when you copy that and you paste that in a new browser to like, you know, or you, you send that to a friend, that should just rehydrate into a state on the uh, on the new site as well. So I think all that can be wrapped in a store and subscribed to and written to, and it should be easier. So I, I yeah. hope that becomes more of a pattern. That sounds actually super useful and like a pretty yeah, nice user experience as well. Like, I wonder if you could have it just like somehow get all of the values from the page and like do it all automatically. Because I assume you have to kind of do it manually at the moment. Yeah, you, you should do it manually because like not all the values should be serialized. It would make for right. a very ugly URL. Um, <laughs> but, you know, just the one, just the big ones that you want to filter on or search for. Uh, put that in the URL, and then you know when you when people send that around, it would just naturally hydrate without you doing any extra work. Like the store would do all the work. Yep, um, that makes sense. So, yeah, any again, this is this is thinking about stores as a way to sync things rather than a way to store things. There's also XState Store. Uh, XState is just a state machine library or state charts library, and you know being able to do uh, state transitions across the app. I think there's a there's a very natural sympathy there is there a, is there already a state machine store out there i'm pretty sure that someone's built one already. yeah so, so yeah so there was a guy that made one at svelte summit i think last last svelte summit yeah let's link that talk. maybe that was yeah there it might have been just like it was a state machine library but i think it had stores and yeah. there's x state svelte at yeah, x state slash svelte yeah, so the one, the one I'm talking about is, let's see here, what is it called? It is called, I'm scrubbing the, the YouTube video here, Svelte <laughs> FSM. So it's a finite state machine. Uh, yeah, cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link it in the... Yeah, let's, yeah let's help users find that and evaluate it. Um, but I think these, you know... Uh, these are all just super useful. Uh, I'll, I have one last one, which is what if your store could survive browser refresh? So in other words, uh, it's stored to not just local, maybe local storage, maybe index DB. Uh, so we talked about that already. And what if it could survive? What what if it, you could be synced to a database in, in the cloud? So, and what if it could work offline? And, and then when you went online, it syncs back. So essentially, like there's a lot of engineering that you could sync into this to make a full offline sync engine, including showing optimistic updates or the status of something that should be synced, but you know was entered entered in while offline. Um, I'm probably also going to try to write a super base store because that's just my backend of choice now. Yeah. Nice. Sounds like a, like a fun store. Yeah, and quite a quite useful one actually. I've not used Superbase, but certainly having a store interface to it would would solve me having to actually learn it. 
You don't need anything other than uh, Cloudflare nowadays. They have everything. <laughs> SQL, they have. Well, everything's oh. in beta, so you have to. You have to yeah, that's that true. <laughs> Uh, well, so, you know, one thing I, I do think that we do need uh, either the local storage store or the optimistic sync store because so I spun up a, a new SvelteKit app recently and the SvelteKit app has a to-do program on one of the default pages. It's very slow because it waits and simulates a full API request before updating uh, the sync every time you, you click a button or do an action. I, th I think so, it actually. Uh, I think it actually does a an API request and saves. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it was very slow. Like no real app will do that. You would yeah, have to do. Yeah, yeah. Like imagine you know having to wait like a second after every click for the UI to update. It's just very slow, and I don't think it shows off so in a good light. So I, I think, think we should have this store. Oh. I think it's caused some confusion too because if you deploy it, it's it breaks, right? I didn't oh, even know does? that. Yeah, we need to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, seems like a problem. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anything else about stores that we've missed? Um, no. Their All the listeners are now uh, store experts. That's great. Don't even have to try writing one. They're just experts now. That's good. All right. I guess we move on to uh, unpopular opinions. And we're going to hear from Anthony, of course. Yeah, okay. I'll just pull up my popular opinion because I have so many I have to just, you know, listen them and make sure I'm startup you know, controversial enough. Yes. So this relates to a tweet that I saw floating around somewhere, probably on Twitter, given you know, in past uh, experience. It said something along the lines of and it was by one of these people who who owns you know, a a startup of some sort, and it was along the lines of basically don't spend your time in a startup building tests build features it's the only way it was very dogmatic it was just like you know this is this is you know this is the only way to do a startup don't write any tests just gung ho the whole thing and i'm like well no i don't think that's that's i don't think that's reasonable i believe that everything needs tests now granted there are things that you definitely need to test and there are things that you probably should test but you could probably skip them there were a lot of replies on this tweet about you know if you're writing a thousand tests, you're not delivering, blah, blah, blah. If you're a perfectionist and you need to run these tests, you're not going to, you're going to fall behind. Tests are going to save you in the longer run. If you expect your startups to succeed, you're going to thank yourself for writing tests in the first six months, in the first 12 months, rather than just like shipping a prototype, it's succeeding, then you panic trying to rewrite it or trying to do something else. That's when you're going to slow down. You're still losing your competitive advantage, whether you lose it at the start or whether you impact it not lose it because frank test doesn't really slow you down if you're doing it well but if it impacts you at start it's equally going to impact you after a year or after two years or whenever it hits you and you've got no tests and your site starts to get unreliable and your product stops working for customers that are paying you money it's in my experience it's been much worse so i believe that all startups need tests it's just maybe being careful about what you test, where you focus your testing, and and how you write those tests. Controversial in some tests? circles. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, what are you saying? What if you hate writing tests? Then then you need more practice. <laughs> because Probably I'll tell you, should. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what. Um, people can hate working, writing tests, but I tell you what I hate, and that's debugging things in production because mm. that's <laughs> actually hateful. The site going down at three in the morning, that's hateful. 
Writing tests is a pleasure. <laughs> Comparatively. It's, it's a pleasure anyway for me, but yeah, you know, especially compared to that, it's definitely a pleasure. Sounds like you like uh, seeing those uh, green check marks. I do. I like seeing the that green That is check satisfying. Marks. I like it having is. confidence that my software goes out with any issues. Yeah. That I haven't introduced any issues. It's just, it's a great feeling. <laughs> All right. I have an unpopular opinion. It, I don't know if it's unpopular, but here <laughs> goes. So I'm currently working on a pre-rendered SvelteKit app with a separate backend. And it's not fun. I want to just use the endpoints. Let me use the endpoints. But I can't for reasons. Okay. So I, I was like, I what are the reasons? <laughs> no, that's, that's the reason. I can't use them. I'm not allowed to. Um, but it, ha it has to do with like um, content delivery, um, CDN stuff. They want the, the application to be available all over the place, but I can't use like Cloudflare or Resell or anything. It has to, like the backend has to live on AWS, which is, yeah, you, you probably heard my rant last week about that. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, yeah. they, they want to have their cake, but they want to eat their cake, but they don't want to have their cake. Right. Well, I I I think it it's it's because they have all of their other stuff in AWS, right? Yeah, makes, makes sense, sense for them. Yeah, AWS's dashboard is not great, but aren't <laughs> like Netlify built on AWS? So everything is everything yeah. is built on AWS. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's it's not inside of the, the oh, AWS billing <laughs> thing, right? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think it's anything like. Other than other than that, it's just simplifies for for I don't know if they want yeah, to spin up more da database servers or whatever it is that, you, that they yeah might you want. have to assume these companies have a bunch of infrastructure uh, they have yeah. a bunch of scripts that build infrastructure and they have a bunch of roles IAM permissions everything's managed in one place and if you go then try and divert it somewhere else then obviously that's a huge issue for them because they're managing two platforms instead of one um, yep. it's unfortunate and it, it should be easier than that than that and i think that there's definitely a uh, the ability for somebody to say you know it's okay to have multiple platforms um let's do the thing that makes the most sense for the what we're building but i can also understand that's in itself controversial so <laughs> yeah this is one of the problems with the jamstack in a sense is that there's so many best-in-class products and you have your stuff put so across so many different things that it's hard to get all of that into one place. And I think companies like Uniform and Builder and those companies are trying to kind of bring those pieces together, but not quite there yet. Yeah. Well, so that's that's my rant. Anyone else have any any rants or opinions? No? I think right. Sean already did his in the beginning. Right. The React one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or sorry, not the React one. The the bad oh, user experience for, for non-JS people. Yeah. Coming to JS. All right. Picks? Picks. Uh, Sean? I'll go first. Uh, go stocks for are on sale. <laughs> <laughs> on sale. I love... Yeah, like in quotes, on sale. It is bad yeah. out there. <laughs> it's bad out there. Uh, that you, you know, when there's blood on the streets, you—that's when you should be trying to buy rather than when everyone is buying. Uh, 
So yeah, uh, you know, I, I, obviously we're heading into a recession. People getting laid off at the same time as Amazon and Microsoft are raising the salaries for software engineers. It's it's just a very confusing time. But you know, I think for those people who may not have uh, invested too much in the market and feel like they've missed out, I think actually this is the the time to start making a mental list of uh, you know what you're trying to invest in and then not trying to time the bottom. Just you know, in, in, uh, investing in over a, a very a dollar cost averaging over a long time, and that's something I've been talking about with my family and and some friends as well. I actually completely agree with that. Yeah, it's it is a very good time to get into the market if you have not previously. <laughs> as long as it doesn't know, go down more, <laughs> it, it's going to go down more. But yeah. the point is, like, you're never going to like wake up at the bottom and just go like all in on, on that one day. Um, yeah. So don't, don't even try. Dollar cost uh, average, like you said. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Awesome. All right. Anyone else Brittany? before I go? Okay. Go yeah. It. So uh, I didn't have any siren streams scheduled and then I got in touch with Prismic and I'm very excited to do slicing up your spelt site with Prismic. So Prismic does these slices. That's a little different than some of the other, um, content management systems that are out there. So I'm excited to do that on Friday. And then the most exciting one next Friday with Danny Sandoval about the story behind the unofficial Svelte newsletter. I am so excited to hear like all the inside details on this. Yeah. So the unofficial official one, right? Because that's unofficial the one that's... official. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Cool. Anthony, do you do you have one? Yeah. My pick is We've just bought a muskmobile. A what? Um, a what? You know, a muskmobile. A muskmobile. What the hell? A car is that? built by Tesla. Elon Musk. You got a Tesla. Oh. Yes, Tesla. We haven't got it yet. It's it's coming, but um, I'm going to pick it when it arrives. Muskmobile. So this is a pre-pick. I had never yeah. heard it called a muskmobile. Yeah, that, that's a new one. <laughs> so uh, I guess you can't pick it when you actually get it. Then, just so you know, you can only pick something once. Uh, okay, well, then I'm going to pick the real name of it. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Yeah, I don't have a pick. So I'm going to pick ice cream. Your pick is your meetup you're going to in a yeah, meeting, right? Yeah, that is true. But that's that's like, people are going to miss that. Because <laughs> I know. Yeah, so, yeah, go to meetups. Meetups, that's a good pick, right? Meetups are fun. And then fun. we're going to schedule... Fun. A stream with Kev to come and talk about Svelte Cubed. Yes, yes, because I'm doing a presentation on Svelte Cubed. We'll see how it goes. I'm not an expert in Svelte Cubed, and uh, the documentation is uh, what you would call... Uh, Sparse? Pretty, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. Any Anything else before we sign off? Uh, no. No. All so. right. Cool. Happy Saturday. Thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, we'll be back next week with another episode. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.